Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. That are around us, that you would strengthen us for the good warfare and move us to obedience and, and teach us to love as you love. Teach us to follow Jesus. We ask that you would make us a people of prayer without ceasing. We often fail, Lord, and we trust that you are making us look more and more like, like Jesus, and we ask that you would keep us from having apathetic hearts. We ask that you would create in us a faithful people who desire to serve you. Lord, we want to say a, a prayer of thanks for the veterans here and around the nation as we look to Veterans Day soon. You've placed it in their hearts to serve this great nation and to sacrifice for freedom. And, and we thank you, Lord, that we live in such a place and have people that love the country like our veterans do. We also want to lift before you the sick and the hurting, Lord. Would you bring healing? Would you bring relief? We ask, Lord, that you would provide physically and financially and spiritually and, and mentally and we ask as a church that you would open our eyes as to how we can serve those who are hurting around us. Lord, as we turn to the time to hear your word, would you give us, as Wanda prayed, ears to hear, eyes to see. We ask that you would be with our children as they head off to Children's Church, that you would speak to their hearts and speak to their minds. Lord, raise up godly leaders and preachers and missionaries and businessmen and women and soldiers and a faithful generation that would penetrate the culture around them with the truth of the gospel. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would apply or teach us to apply what we learned today so that we may glorify you with every action in our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, kiddos, you are released. There's always an option to stay? Nope. <laughs> Fine. Oh, that's funny. Well, good morning, church. Several years ago, uh, Nikki and I and the boys, we all moved into Nikki's grandparents' house in, in Mount Hood Parkdale, so it's just at the base of... Um, Mount Hood. It was a beautiful location, and prior to that, Nikki's uh, grandparents lived there for years and years and years, and, and they had an antique store, so they collected a lot of uh, antiques, so to speak, and uh, filled the house with those antiques. So the family members, uh, they got together, they did an estate sale, and then everything that didn't sell or the things that were um, garbage, they put out in this big pile, and we covered that big pile. And we waited till the first snow because you don't light fires around, because we lived in between two pear orchards and uh, we didn't want to damage anything. So we waited for the first snow and it was going to be, it was going to be awesome. Um, and it was. So the snows come, we uncover the pile and, and it's, it's damp. So we think we have a good idea. Usually when I say I have a good idea, it's not very good. Um, 
we doused the pile with gasoline. And not a little bit of gasoline. We really pour, because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's wet, so we got to make it burn. Uh, we really covered it good. And like any good son-in-law, I decided, well, why, while Nikki's dad is lighting this fire, I will videotape this whole thing for him. That's what good son-in-laws do. We always have the camera rolling, uh, especially when our father-in-laws are not doing something very smart. Um, so Jeff, Nikki's dad, he lights this match, and he, he kind of stands back and tosses it, and it goes out. He walks a little closer, and he lights the match and throws it, and it goes out and walks a little closer. And, because getting closer is a good idea, right? Um, instead of making a trail or something. Uh, so this time he leans over the pile, and we're talking a huge pile. It was huge. Leans over the pile and lets go of the match about right here and the piles about right here, and it lights. And it lights with a boom. I mean, I'm not kidding. The whole pile, this huge pile, it lifts off of the ground. There's so much gasoline underneath and it explodes, and uh, he runs off, and the, his, his jacket's on fire, and I'm yelling, your jacket, your jacket, your jacket, and that's, that's a family joke now. We always say, your jacket, your jacket, your jacket, but uh, it, was, it was not the way to light a fire, we found out. So you see, we prepped the fire with gas, and all it needed was the right spark. It just needed for the flame to hit the fumes, and that was all that it needed to light off. And that's what happens here in Acts. Uh, for centuries, the Lord has been pouring gas on this fire of the story of redemption. He's prepared his people with prophets and kings. He's sent the apostles, and he tells them, wait. And then he lights that fire by sending his Holy Spirit. And it just explodes here in Acts. And we see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. That's why we're sitting here today. It actually happens and Peter stands up in the midst of thousands and he preaches this gospel of Jesus Christ boldly and thousands of them turn to Jesus Christ. But unlike our uh, not so thought out plan to light the fire with gasoline and a, and a match, Peter's sermon, it, it engages the mind. It exposes the heart and it transforms the life with the power of the Holy Spirit. Many have heard the gospel. Many have heard and, and their minds have been engaged. They think that's a really interesting story and, and that seems like a good way to live, but they've fallen away in unbelief. Many have even heard the gospel and be cut to the heart and they think, I'm guilty of all this. I'm not good enough to be saved, so I'm going to turn to the world and I'm going to turn to drugs and alcohol and sex and technology or something, something to make me feel better about the guilt that I'm feeling. But those who have heard the gospel and it's engaged their minds and it's, and it's exposed their hearts and it's transformed their lives are those who have turned to Jesus Christ and received true life. So if you haven't already, I want you in Acts with me. I want you looking at the text with me. If you don't have a Bible, there's one around you. It's black. It's the same translation I'm using. Um, if you want that, 
you can take it. It's yours. It's a gift from us to you. We just want you in the word. We're in Acts 2, 14, as, as Wanda read. And we're going to look at Peter's sermon. We're going to see how the gospel engages the mind. It exposes the heart. It transforms the life. It first engages the mind. As we saw last week, the crowds were gathered around the 120 disciples. They hear this wind and thousands of them come in and they receive the Holy Spirit and and they start proclaiming the gospel in, in other tongues. People from all other nations are hearing the gospel in their own language, but others are mocking. And we see in, in verse 14, he stands up and he lifts his voice and he addresses them. And he says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and, and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. In these opening words, Peter stands among the eleven and he lifts up his voice and addresses them. This is very significant. These are the same word, the same word for address them is the same word we get in Acts 2, uh, 4, where it says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak, address in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. You see, the speaking in tongues was an act of the Holy Spirit. They were made, it was made possible for them to proclaim the good news in other languages. But Peter's sermon right here was empowered by the Holy Spirit in the same way. He's addressing them in the same way. This sermon is the manifestation of what is promised in Acts 1.8 where Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right here, Peter is a witness to Jerusalem. Immediately, he's obedient to this proclamation, this this, um, uh, prophecy, if you will, from Jesus in 1.8. And the rest of Acts is the same. It is the spreading of the gospel. In Acts 2.7, if you like to have an outline of a book in your head, uh, Acts chapters 2 through 7 is the gospels being spread in Jerusalem. Just like it says in Acts 1.8, first, Jerusalem. In Acts 8 through 12, it is being spread in Judea and Samaria, just like it says in Acts 1.8. In Acts 13 through 20, Paul's missionary journeys, if you look at this map again, this is people that were coming in from all the nations. This is where Paul goes to spread the gospel. And then in Acts 21.28, he goes all the way to Rome, the furthest point. And we think, well, Paul went to, the, went to Rome because he was in prison. He went to Rome to preach the gospel. He just didn't do it like he knew he was going to do it. So Luke's desire, as we read the book of Acts, is for us to see the word spreading to the ends of the earth. This is the ends of the earth, according to uh, the ancient Near Eastern mind. They didn't know America was here. They didn't know the other side. They didn't know Australia was down there. They just knew that this is the ends of the earth. This is where the 70 uh, nations went after the Tower of Babel. And Luke wants you to see that. That this is part of that mission. And, and 
even bigger. The Holy Spirit is saying, you're part of that mission. The ends of the earth were much bigger than what Paul thought. He had no idea Coos Bay was here. So this sermon is also an opportunity to explain the significance of the man, Jesus Christ. Not only is he saying the power of the Holy Spirit is going to spread to the ends of the earth, but you need to know the man, Jesus Christ. So Peter interprets what is happening in chapters two, or chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. He says, they're not drunk. They're, they're doing what's been anticipated all through Scripture. Moses, way back in Numbers, that's a book in the Bible if you didn't know that. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It's the fourth one. It's very exciting. It really is one of my favorites. Everybody's like, really? Numbers? There's a lot in there. Anyways, maybe we'll go there next. Way back in Numbers, Moses is saying, I long for the people of God, for God to put his spirit on them. So he said, are you jealous for my sake? Because Mo, Moses, uh, someone is telling him that other people are, are prophesying. And he says, would all that the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on everyone. I wish that would happen, he says. And then later on, Peter picks up, but Joel actually says that um, this is going to happen in the final days. And Peter picks that up in the Old Testament prophecy. And he says, that's what's happening here. He says, we are empowered by the Spirit. People are prophesying. But Peter, he makes this, this, this change. And he says, not only is this happening now, but we're in the last days. So this is Joel 2.8, what, what he is um, quoting. If you'll look at your text in verse 17, it says, in the last days it shall be, God declares. But if you go back to Joel and look, it says, and it shall come to pass afterward. This is a neat thing that Peter's doing. He's changing it slightly so that we see that it's not afterward. There's nothing coming. He says we are presently in the last days. And in the last days it shall be. He says that's happening now. And they know that it's the last days because he says look at the rest of the text. The 120, they receive the Spirit. They start to prophesy. They proclaim the mighty works of God. We see in in chapter 2, verse 11. Later on, Peter receives visions. He receives uh, a dream. We see throughout um, Jesus' life, he he shows signs in the heavens, signs, uh, wonders. All of this has happened. He he points out in chapter 2, verse 22, men of Israel... Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, have you know? He says, we're in the last days. You've already seen Jesus do these mighty works. You see, Peter's engaging the mind of the Jewish believer. He's saying, just look at the text. That's what I tell you every, every week. He's saying the same thing. Look at the text. Look at what Joel said. Look at the life of Christ. Look at what's going on right now. It's being fulfilled. You say, that sounds good, Greg, but what about the the blood and the weirdness and the rest of it? Signs on the earth, blood, fire, vapor, whatnot. 
Some would say this is a future event. I'm okay with that. But what if? What if Luke is taking us back to Mount Sinai? The giving of the law. Remember, we said Pentecost. They were celebrating the giving of the law. Not only was it the the Feast of Weeks, but it's the celebration that God on Mount Sinai gave us the law. And we see this same imagery in Exodus 19. On the morning of the third day, so, okay, so Israel, I'm taking you back to the Old Testament. They are standing at Mount Sinai, looking up at the mountain. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and thick cloud on the mountain. A very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. That seems scary, right? And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like a smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the Lord answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai at the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And we have him going up the mountain and he gets the Ten Commandments. And then he comes back down and we see in the rest of Exodus 20. And now when all people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and they trembled. And they stood far off, and Moses said, you speak to us, and we will listen, but don't let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, don't fear, God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. So we have the same kind of imagery going on at Mount Sinai and Joel And if you remember, like I said, Pentecost is the celebration of the giving of the law. And then we go to the cross even. And we see in the sixth hour there was darkness over the whole land. The sun's light failed. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Again, we're seeing this imagery. And if we take the cross and we take the giving of the Spirit and we give the the prophesying, we, we have all of this coming together in Acts. Luke, I believe, you can check me on this and I'm okay with that, is saying God's giving us the new covenant. This is how he gave Moses the old covenant. And we have all of this imagery, the same kind of stuff happening, and he's giving us the new covenant where he says, I'm going to write my law on your heart. I'm going to put my spirit in you. All of that is happening right here. So instead of some future event, the cross and the resurrection and the ascension and Pentecost and the giving of the Spirit, all of this is revealing this new covenant that we just celebrated in the Lord's Supper. And this all happens right before the day of the Lord. And I say right before, that's in God's timing. I don't know when he's coming. I'm not making that proclamation this morning we know it's going to be like a thief in the night but Peter is proclaiming that we're in this time you're like that was a ton of information Greg (laughs) I know but we're in this time of of the new law the new covenant's been given to us not the new law sorry 
And we have this time span until the Lord comes back. And in between, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he's going to give us his spirit so that we can proclaim the gospel until he returns. Do you see that picture unfolding here? And Peter reveals that Jesus is the Lord. He's the Messiah. He's the one that can save to the uttermost. It's not an empty gospel. It's not a feel-good gospel. He's saying, look, you have to come to Jesus to experience this. Jesus reveals himself as Messiah through the mighty works, Peter says. He's, he's already shown you. And this would have connected their minds to Isaiah 29. We're not going to go there. Don't worry. And Jesus delivered up, verse 23, up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Isaiah 53. They would be seeing all, they'd be making all these connections in their minds. And Peter is doing that for them. He's helping them see. And he's, his resurrection is proof that he's the Messiah. He says, the grave could not keep him because he's God. He's the Messiah. He's the coming king. He's the one that we've been hoping for. That's why Peter says, let's look at David. If you want me to prove it to you, I'll take you to David's grave. I'll show you his bones. We know where he is. He's no, we know he's not talking about himself in Psalm 16, uh, 8 through 11, which is quoted here in verses 25 through 28. We know, he says, this can't be David. It has to be Jesus. He's the one that was promised in 2 Samuel 7. I know I'm throwing a ton of Old Testament references at you. He says, death couldn't hold Jesus because God promised, I'm bringing a king through David's line. That king will reign forever. He'll be on the throne forever. And, and Peter's saying, all the kings we know have died, but Jesus was raised from the grave he is not dying. He is the reigning king. He's the one that we have been waiting for. He's the Messiah. This would have been exciting for the Jewish people. And it would have been terrible for the Jewish people. Because he's saying, we just made all these connections, but we just killed him. We put him on the cross. We'll get there in a moment. We have to ask, how does this gospel engage the present day mind? If I were to go on the street today and just throw out all those Old Testament references I just gave you to somebody that has no idea what I'm talking about and said, you know what? God sent his son Jesus to die for you because of your sin, but he was raised from the grave and if you ask for forgiveness or you turn to him, your sin will be forgiven, you can be baptized and they'll say, you're crazy. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm a pretty good person. Uh, I don't know Jesus. I don't know why he would die for me. So we have, to, we, have to say, we have to learn to communicate the story of Scripture to people. Where they are. Right? Peter is communicating the story of redemption through, to the Jewish people. They would have understood everything he was saying. But Peter says in verse 39, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off and everyone from whom the Lord our God calls to himself. 
we have, to, we have to learn how to tell people what that promise is. Paul later on writes this promise, as for many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there's a male or female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. That's wonderful to hear. As a Gentile, I can be an heir according to the promise, but I can't communicate that to someone if I don't know the story of Scripture. If I don't know what that means, why that connects everyone, all of the world, to Jesus, I can't communicate that gospel to someone. So we have to learn the story of Scripture to understand how to present it to people right where they are. Show them they're part of God's plan of redeeming humanity. They were created in his image. And he is, he is bringing them through Abraham, through Israel, through Jesus to a right relationship with himself. Peter could present this because the Jews understood this. But many today think Peter could say, Jesus is this Lord in Christ that you've been waiting for. Many today would say, I'm that Lord in Christ I've been waiting for. Or there's many Lords in Christ that we've been waiting for. You say, this all sounds good, Greg. What does that look like? I know I need to tell people about Jesus, so tell me what I... Everyone is writing their story in these four areas. This isn't mine. I got it from a book called Everyday Church. Everybody's writing their story by, this is what defines me. This is my identity. This is my problem. This is how I'm going to fix my problem. And this is my hope. So for the crowd around Peter, they identified as the Jewish nation. We are the Jews, the God's chosen people, our problem is we've turned on the Lord. We've sinned. We've turned from Him. He's mad at us. The way that we, and this is where they falter, we fix that is we're just really good people. We follow the law. If we just follow the law really well, we'll be okay. And that's our hope. Today, the addict would say, I, my identity is I'm an addict. My problem is my addiction. If I could just kick this addiction, that's the solution, then I'm going to be happy. Right? The single person says, I identify as a single person. That's my problem. Being single is my problem. It might not be your problem if you're single. That's not what I'm saying. It's... I'm just saying, if you, if you think it's your problem, Paul was single. I'm going to use this... You can talk to me afterwards if you don't like this. I'm single. Being single is my problem. If I find the right person, they're going to make me happy. That's my hope. But here's the problem. Until people see you're created in the image of God. That's who you are. You are a reflection of the one true God. That's your identity. Until they see that, and sin in your life is distorting that image. It's ruining your life. It's robbing you of true life. It's lying to you. That's your problem. 
And only Jesus can bring you true life. That's the solution. Then you will find true happiness. That's what people have to see. This is the message people need to hear. That they are created in the image of God. And yeah, you are a sinner. But you need Jesus. That's that's the solution. He died for you to, to put you back in the right relationship with the Father. So that you can truly live. This is all head knowledge, though. You could say, yes, I believe that. You could say, that sounds really great. But until it cuts to the heart and transforms the life, it hasn't taken root yet. So the gospel exposes the heart. Trust me, that first point was my long one. The Jews are listening to Peter's message. They're cut to the heart. Look at verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Because Peter didn't say, don't worry about it. He said, you crucified the Son of God. They should have been cut to the heart. They realized their offense against the holy God. They were broken like David was in Psalm 51. Against you, God, you only have I sinned and have done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. I know I'm, I've messed up. They understood what Paul's saying. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this moved them to ask, what shall we do? What can we do? We mess up. This is exactly what Isaiah says. Woe is me. I am a, I'm lost, he says. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people who have unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. I'm ruined. He was cut to the heart. Has the truth of the gospel cut you to your heart? Do you, has it opened, laid open your heart, exposed the disease of sin? Have you seen that the word of God is it's sharper than any It's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joint and the marrow, the discerning, the thoughts and the attentions of the heart. It's laying us open and saying, you are a sinner. No creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give an account. Do you understand that? That your rebellion is against the one true God. That sin is turning your back on God, attempting to be your own God. It's rejecting God. It's rejecting his plan for your life. It's saying, no, thank you. I know the better way. Do you understand that your sin is the rebellion of humanity that drove Jesus Christ to the cross? Has that cut you to the heart? Have you been broken over sin? Because you can't repent from something you're not broken over. If you don't, it doesn't bother you, you're not going to turn from it. But do you understand your disobedience is a rejection of his lordship over your life? He's saying, I want to lead you. I want to give you life to the fullest So many come to faith, they say, I I do believe in Jesus, but they never surrender their lives to him. This is why Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny 
yourself. You have to follow me. You're no longer the Lord over your own life. You're saying that Jesus is the Lord and the King, the one who is God. He's the one you want to follow. And of course you can't do this perfectly. You you can't follow. Your heart's desire is to follow him. But we're going to fall. We're going to sin. We're going to fall short. That's why Jesus died on the cross for us. But even that coming to the table and and hitting your knees as a Christian and saying, Lord, forgive me. You're acknowledging him as Lord of your life even as a sinner. You're crying out for his his lordship over your rebellious heart, that he would change it so that it would follow him. So how do you know if you've only had head knowledge and haven't been cut to the heart? You understand the gospel message quite well. It hasn't changed you a bit. You treat it more like a get-out-of-jail-free card or a get-out-of-hell-free card. Yes, I got that. I've checked that box. Good to go. I don't need to worry about it until I die. And then I'll pull that out and say, I don't have to roll doubles. If you, Sorry. just You attend church. It's another example. But only consume knowledge and never apply it. You never think about the sermon after the sermon. You never think about the Bible study after the Bible study. You just got through it and you moved on. You've surrendered your life to Christ, but haven't denied yourself. You don't think you're good enough. You don't think you're worthy. You don't think you're valuable enough. You don't understand the gospel if that's where you are. Because Jesus has come for all. He's come for these who he says, you've crucified them. But if you'll turn to him, he'll save you. If you're here today, today's the day to change. Today's the day. Don't harden your hearts, it says in Hebrews. Don't turn. Don't harden your hearts. Don't turn away. Turn to Jesus. Allow the word to lay open your heart and show you, yeah, that's where I am. And for Christ to bind it up and heal you. And once your heart, once the gospel's engaged your mind and it's, it's exposed your heart, he doesn't say, well, good luck with that. <laughs> he transforms our life. At first... He transforms our lives by changing our allegiance. Verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. No more am I the Lord of my life. My allegiance is no longer to myself. It's to Jesus. What he asked me to do, I do. What he calls me to do, I do. What his desires are, I pray become my desires. No more is my allegiance first to my country or my job or my friends or my spouse. If it's to my country, if my country is my Lord, then I will compromise my faith for my country. If my my spouse is my Lord, then I will compromise my faith to please my spouse. Or I'll abuse them. So that they think I'm Lord. 
If my friends are my Lord, I will compromise my faith to please them. The gospel takes my allegiance to whatever and places it in Jesus Christ alone. The gospel, secondly, transforms our lives by moving us to repentance. This is the message of Jesus and John the Baptist, his cousin. John proclaimed the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. He says, I tell you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. So what is repentance? It's going one direction and stopping and turning around and going the other direction. It's I no longer am living in sin. I no longer am, am running to sin. I'm running from it and after the Lord Jesus Christ. When we moved from our house in the bungalow uh, to right here in the parking lot, um, when you're coming north on 101, we would always take a left to go to the house, the bungalow. When we moved, we had to consciously tell ourselves, we don't live over there anymore. We need to go down Wildwood to get to the house. So if we turn, we're, going, we're not going to that house anymore. That's repentance. I don't live over there anymore. I live over here. I'm following Jesus Christ. I'm not following the world. I'm not following sin. I'm not following whatever this, this way was for me. I'm following Christ. I live here now. That's repentance. The gospel of Jesus Christ calls us to repentance, to change direction, to change lifestyle, to change allegiance. Thirdly, the gospel transforms our life through baptism. It's a symbolic washing away of sin. It's nothing magic. It's saying I'm no longer that old person. I'm the new creation in Christ this is what's pictured in Ezekiel 36. I will, God says, I will sprinkle you clean. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. You're no longer that person, he says. Fourthly, the gospel transforms our lives through forgiveness of sin. It's forgiveness that our relationship with the Lord is repaired. And through forgiveness, we no longer live in guilt and shame. I no longer am there. I'm free to obey the Lord. We're given his... Fifthly, the gospel transforms our lives through the indwelling Holy Spirit. We're given his spirit to live out the life that he's called us to. Sixth, the gospel transforms our lives by calling us to tell others. And seventh, because it's biblical and we needed seven of them, the gospel transforms our lives by separating us from the crooked generation around us. And I don't mean separating us so that we think, oh, you're sinners, I don't want to be around you anymore. It separates us in action, in, in life, so we can live like Christ around them. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he, in the law he meditates day and night. He's separated. No longer am I being persuaded by the world. I'm separated and being persuaded by the word. 
And that makes us like a tree planted in streams of water. We yield our fruit in season. Our leaf doesn't wither. And all that we do, we prosper. So look at verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. Is the Lord speaking to you this morning? Is he calling you to himself? If, if so, come see me. In the next song, afterwards, you can grab my card on your way out and email me. I want, my desire for you is to be in the kingdom of God. Have you been sitting in church your whole life and the gospel has only engaged your mind? It's never cut you to the heart. It's never swallow your But you this morning say, I want that to be me. Swallow your pride and come talk to me. Talk to one of the elders during the song, during the week. Don't harden your heart this morning. Church, we are part of something so amazing. We are part of the entire world hearing about the kingdom of God and salvation in Jesus Christ. Are you depending on the Spirit day by day? Are you pre preparing yourself to tell others? Are you asking the Spirit, would you lead me to tell others of the, the hope that is within me? May we leave this place today ready to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we praise you. I'm just so amazed at, at your word, at your faithfulness, at how you put these pieces together from ancient days and you show us that you are a God of fulfilled promises. There's not one that you say you're too bad, you're too far gone, you leave the 99 and you search for the one and you bring them back into the fold, Lord. I pray if there are any today that think I'm too far gone that you would show them by your Holy Spirit they're not. That all who call upon the name of Jesus Christ are saved. Lord, would you move us as your people to proclaim that message? Would you strengthen us? Strengthen the churches in this area, Lord. We want your name to be glorified. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.